Isn't it um, a reason to find joy in our hearts because of the fact that this old story that we tell, this account of Jesus, uh, is real. And he gave himself for us, and for that we are eternally grateful to him for his goodness and for his compassion and kindness. It is great to see you here tonight, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your attendance, those who are here present, those online. We praise God for you being here tonight. Let's go to God, please, together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise your holy divine name and thank you so, so very much for being so good to us. Hallowed be your great name, O oh God. The name above all names. When we hear your name, bless us, Lord God, to... Always keep it hallowed and sanctified. When we use your name, bless us, Lord God, to keep it sanctified. Bless us, Lord God, to honor you in all that we say, in all that we do. At this time, Lord God, as we worship you, we thank you for your great son who died on that cruel cross of Calvary. We're thankful, Lord God, that though the temptations came his way, he stayed on that cross. And he stayed on that cross for us. And we thank you for that. We know, Lord God, as you've said in your word, that Jesus could have called the angels from heaven. We're thankful he did not, so that we might be saved. That we might be able to be with you the days of eternity. Please bless our worship this evening. And help us to honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we do pray and thank you, if it be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're rounding the corner on Melchizedek um, and continue to look at the type, uh, the symbolic picture uh, of the Messiah through Melchizedek or the Melchizedekian priesthood. So now we're in Hebrews 5, beginning at verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he says also in another passage, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus did not glorify himself, but the Godhead glorified Jesus and lifted him up above all of humanity. Chapter 6, please, and verse 19. He does it through this, this prophetic message and this image that we were uh, given ability and the blessing to be able to see in Genesis, and we'll look there in just a moment. But Hebrews 6 and verse 19, the Bible says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. Now, the anchor serves for multiple purposes, right? The, the anchor is there for the ship. Whether the seas are calm or whether the seas are rough. And through the storms, the anchor holds the ship in place. Aren't you happy and thankful and glad that Jesus is our anchor who holds us steadfast through our storms of life? And it's important to recognize that knowing that we constantly need Jesus, 
We're thankful that Jesus is always before the Father, if you will, in verse 19, because he enters within the veil. He's always within the veil instead of being outside of the veil. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But again, verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. So Aaron's priesthood, turn over to chapter 10. Aaron's priesthood could only come within the veil once a year. But I want you to remember this. Jesus is forever within the veil. All right. So uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10, beginning at verse one. For the law, since it only has, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so here the the, the high priest goes in the veil, offers an offering for himself first and then for the people. But he only does it once a year. Jesus is forever within the veil. Continue reading, please, at verse 8. There the Bible says, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Now notice that God did not take pleasure in the sacrifices of the goats and bulls and the animals, but was giving them a prefigure of the great sacrifice of the Messiah that would come. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, why do people try to hold on to the Old Testament knowing there's no salvation under the Old Testament? Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. Even in all the offerings they were, make, they were making, those blood sacrifices never removed their sins. It was by faith that they would have their sins removed through blood, but not the blood of the animal, but the blood of Jesus Christ. Back to Hebrews, please. Chapter 6. And listen to what it says. The anchor of the soul. And then in chapter 6 and verse 20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, the high priest was a representative. But Jesus is. Right? Now, who would you rather have? The representative or the one who is? And Jesus is forever the high priest according to an order that God has established and that is the order of Melchizedek. So the Melchizedekian priesthood, turn to chapter 7 please, is a blessing and a benefit for us. But we've got an issue now. You have, you have the patriarchal dispensation 
And then you have the Mosaical dispensation. And then you have John's dispensation. And then you have the Christian dispensation. And now how do we get from the Christian dispensation and work through John's dispensation, work through the Mosaical dispensation, and get back to the patriarchal dispensation to bring forth Melchizedek and Jesus? Let's come back to that in just a moment. Melchizedek is greater than Aaron and greater than Abraham, right? Look at verse 4, chapter 7. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed are the sons of Levi who received the priest's uh, office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. Now notice, if you will, that there is some law that is running in the patriarchal dispensation. So the idea of the tenth predates the law of Moses. So our offering, our giving, the idea of the tenth comes right back to the very beginning of time. And we carry that all the way through, right? But he goes on to give us more information in this, in this text, in verse 5. And those indeed are the sons of Levi who received the priest of uh, office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from the collect from, excuse me, them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Now, here's something that's really important that I want you to get here. Notice the name, Abraham. Remember, you have Abram, but once God makes a covenant with Abram, his name is changed to Abraham. This is the covenanted individual, right? Not the man pre-covenant, but the man after the covenant was made and the promise from God was given to him. He brings forth, if you will, uh, if through the Abrahamic promise, this brings forth the greatness of Melchizedek, Right? Greater than Abraham, the man who was covenant, who had received a covenant name from the Father, from God, from the Godhead. Verse 7. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So go back to Genesis now, uh, chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And we'll begin reading, if you will, at verse 18, just to kind of refresh our memory regarding Melchizedek and Abraham. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And the text goes on to talk about what happens afterwards. So Melchizedek predates the covenanted man, Abraham, with Abram, and then follows through with the power of the promise and the oath from God after the covenant man, Abraham. And so it's really important. We're talking about the greatness. Turn back to Hebrews, please. Chapter 7. We're talking about the greatness of Abraham. So Abram is a great man, but Abraham is greater. But even the greatest greatness of Abraham is lesser than Melchizedek. So the 
greater blesses the lesser. And the lesser is Abraham. So this means a lot when you're talking to, if you're talking to people that uh, follow the Old Testament, you're talking to the Jews, and you say, well, Abraham was great, but Melchizedek was greater. Imagine what that conversation will be like, right? So Hebrews 7 and, and verse 9, the Bible says, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Showing the greatness of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek didn't pay tithes. But Abraham did, and so Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And Abram. Chapter 7 and verse 17. Here's a question. Listen to the question. Question that God asks of us. For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weaknesses, and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Well, you might ask, well, and I might ask, if, if, if the law made nothing perfect, what was the point of the law? I will come back to that question in just a moment. We'll leave that hanging, kind of dangling out there. For the law, verse 19, made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath. For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. There's no perfection in the Levitical priesthood. In order to have perfection, we needed another. And that other is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Christ, we don't have a a bloodline that we're following because we're following the order of Melchizedek. Instead, we have something greater than a bloodline. We have an oath from God. We have a promise from God. We have a guarantee from God. The God who cannot lie. He says, I give you this oath that Jesus will be. Jesus is a priest, high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, in in the mind of God, though Jesus would come to the earth and be tempted and tried as we, the Godhead already knew one thing. Satan was not going to win. See, Jesus already knew he wasn't going to sin. That's kind of interesting when you think about it, because God made an oath or a guarantee, but Jesus could not be the high priest if he sinned. But he didn't sin. So the Godhead had already figured out it was impossible for Satan to win. I love that, don't you? You see, it's impossible for Satan to win. We follow the God of the heavens who brings to us 
better promises. Chapter 8, please, in verse 6. The Bible says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been acted upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. And so the greatness of God, already prefigured in Jesus Christ, Satan had no chance. Well, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, uh, Revelation 12 when the Bible says, uh, it, it doesn't ex- expound this part, but it says there was a war in heaven. Now, I'm, I'm going to think about that for just a moment. I can imagine that Satan gathered together all of his little angels, the angels that belonged to the Father, and somehow, some way, he convinced them, I think we can take him. <laughs> I think we can take the throne. I think we can win this battle. And this war happened. And God let the war go on for a little while. And I imagine, I wonder to myself, I'm thinking about what that war would look like. Because angels don't, they don't die. So what would that war look like, right? When you think about it, in the end, you know, no one dies. All right, well, anyway. And then the war continues. And God says, um, yeah, okay, well, I've had about enough of that. And Jesus says, I saw Satan, and that would include his angels, by the way, fall from heaven like lightning. Can you imagine the war's going on? God says, okay, that's enough. Boom, boom, Satan's gone. My point that I'm trying to make is, is that that's how sure God has always been because he is God, and there's no way Satan can win. Chapter 7, please. We have to stay on God's side, right? When you feel uh, weak or tempted and tried, and, and you, you, maybe you think, maybe I'm, I'm not going to attend worship, or I'm not going to read my Bible, or I'm not going to pray, or you're having troubles and you're thinking about giving up, don't. Just, just hang in there. You can't lose with God. I saw Satan shoot from heaven, fall from heaven like lightning. We win, right? What This is amazing. This amazing, joyous occasion that we win. Here's a better covenant enacted on better promises because the first covenant failed. Not because of God, but because we are just too selfish as a people to keep his law. All right, listen. Hebrews 7 and verse 23. The Bible says, And the former priest on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is making intercession for us always, even in tough times, right? And as the psalmist says in Psalm 110 in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the uh, the order of Melchizedek. God, who cannot lie. And when God makes a promise, You can count on it. So here's what God has done for us. 
He has set this up in such a way to where we have a true mediator between God and man that Satan cannot touch. When Christians ask you the question, maybe you've been asked this question before, or perhaps you've been the one asking the question. I've been asked the question once before, well, you know, I'm not sure that God is listening to my prayers. We're not even qualified to make that statement because Jesus always makes intercession for his people. But you've got to stick with him, right? You stick with him, he always makes intercession for his people. It is a promise, it is an oath, it is a guarantee. Chapter 7 and verse 26, the Bible says, For it was fitting that we should have a, such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's a five-part sermon right there. <laughs> right? That's a five-part sermon. That's Jesus. There was never a man who stood in the office of a high priest who could ever qualify for such a statement such as this. Only Jesus, the righteous, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the next verse, 27, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Have you ever thought about asking for someone for prayers? but then thought about the way that person had been living their lives and thought, maybe I'll just pray myself. <laughs> maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. We don't have to worry about that with those high priests because Jesus has never sinned, right? Perfect. We're going to the perfect one to have our imperfections removed. Only Jesus could do such a thing. Verse 28 says, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Jesus. Listen, when I think about the name Jesus, when I, when I hear the name Jesus, when I hear Yeshua, when I hear Yeshua, when I hear Jesus, when I hear Jehovah, when I hear Elohim, when I... When I hear God, when I hear Theos, when I, when I hear that, I just say, thank you, God, for that name. That is a powerful name. The most powerful name on the earth. And it's through him, it is through Jesus that we are saved. And so the excitement and the thrill of being a child of God is renewed every time you hear the name Jesus. Chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was turning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Here's what we know. It's impossible that, that we would achieve righteousness on our own. We also know that it's impossible to achieve perfection on our own. 
It is impossible even through the Levitical priesthood. But it is possible through Jesus Christ who removes our sins and reckons it unto us as he did to Abraham as righteousness. Perfection is through the Melchizedekian priesthood and the priesthood of Melchizedek brings forth the Christ. And that's the power of that priesthood. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? So what God is saying is, if you're already perfect, why do you need a Savior? If the, if the Levitical priesthood was perfect, why the Melchizedekian priesthood? He's making the point in different ways over and over again that the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. And the reason the Levitical priesthood did not work was because of the sins of the people. The people refused to follow. The people refused to listen. So then I hung out here uh, this, this question, this idea of, well, you know, if the law could not perfect you, if the law could not remove your sins, the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of an, uh, a heifer and ashes of a heifer, why the law? Why did God even make the law or bring the law forth to the people of Israel? And then the second question that goes with that is, how do we, how do we change from the law of Moses to another? What, what teaching, what scripture, I love asking this question, uh, when I speak with people who are lost, I ask the question, um, if they're saved, they tell me, yes, they're saved. And I ask, um, if you were to use one scripture to declare, to sum up all, everything you could think of about your salvation, what scripture would you use? And usually the answer is, I, I have no clue. Right? And so then that carries me into my Bible study later. And so the question now is, if we're going to go from the law of Moses through John, to Jesus, the Christian dispensation. How do we get back to the patriarchal dispensation? How do we get back to the foundation that God is speaking of in Melchizedek? How do you go through the Christian dispensation, back through John, through the law of Moses, and back to... How do you get back there? So we ask the question first, what's the purpose of the law, right? So here's what God's going to show us. The same thing we looked at two weeks ago, or maybe last week, that the priest had a beginning... And an end. And so the law of Moses also had a beginning and an end. Galatians chapter 3, please, and verse 19. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until. How long was it supposed to last? Until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. The seed promise and the other promise, the oath that God gave through the order of Melchizedek. That law will last until the seed, the seed promise. Genesis three fifteen repeated 
through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way through the Old Testament, the seed promise, where does it end? Verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and the seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So, the, the Melchizedekian priesthood continued through the law of Moses. The law of Moses brings forth this Levitical priesthood. But the Levitical priesthood would have a beginning and an end. It was supposed to begin when in Genesis, or rather uh, Exodus chapter 20. And it would continue until Jesus Christ came to the earth. The seed promise. And then we go back to the original order of things. And that is the Melchizedekian priesthood. But now we've got another question. How do we fix this? Right? Because you have, the, you have people that are following the law of Moses and they're like, wait a minute. Well, we're going to keep following the law of Moses and we understand the Messiah came and so now it ends. Well, which law do you follow? Do you go back to the patriarchal dispensation? We follow the, follow the mosaical dispensation that leads us to Christ. How do we get to Jesus in all honesty and truth and clarity? Well, watch what happens to the law of Moses. Back to Hebrews, please, chapter 7. So the law of Moses has a beginning, and now it ends with Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. So you cannot change the priesthood if you don't change the law. Right? If you don't change the law, Jesus Christ cannot be a priest. Because under the Levitical priesthood, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's from the wrong tribe. So we've got to change the law in order to change the priesthood. In order for the priesthood to change, the law has to change. So then how does the law change? How does the priesthood change? Well, we learned already that the law was to end with Jesus. Now watch what Jesus does. Chapter 9, please, and verse 16. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. That's how he changed it. The one who gave the law died to remove the law and bring forth another. You see? So now when you go back to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and you hear God saying, Thus says Elohim, Thus says God, you know now you're talking about the Godhead, but more specifically, you're talking about Jesus. Jesus gave Moses that law. He spoke to him and gave him the law, and then he took that law away through his death. Again, chapter 9 and verse 16. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Now chapter 7, please, and verse 13. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law, physical requirement, but according to the power 
of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's unalterable. It's indestructible. And the law of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, is built upon the most powerful pronoun. I. The Father says, I make this promise. And when God makes a promise, it cannot be broken. And so for that reason, church, Jesus Christ is the high priest, our high priest. And he has made every one of us priests so that we have authority to pray to the Father, but not without Jesus. We pray through our mediator. We pray through the Christ, the Son of the living God. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, you don't have that prayer life. It's kind of hard to hear. Remember when I heard that? And I know Christians struggle with that. You know, uh, you know uh, John 14 tells us that the world cannot have the Holy Spirit. If the world cannot have the Holy Spirit, how can the world pray to the Father? For the Holy Spirit carries our words, right, and, and presents them before the Father. If, if a man is outside of Christ, who does he have as a mediator to speak before God, between God and man? Jesus is that only mediator, and we need the high priest to offer the sacrifice for our sins. The invitation is yours to surrender to Christ if you have not surrendered to him yet. To surrender in the waters of baptism. To allow God to wash all of your sins away and to make you new. The power of a promise. The blessed gift from God. The power of prayer to his children and his children alone. Brethren, we've got a lot more praying to do, right? Let's keep on praying. Let's pray for our friends. Let's pray for our family. Let's pray for the world. Let's use this powerful gift that God has given to us to benefit as many people as possible on the face of the earth. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your time this evening. God bless you. If we can help in any way, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation.